everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Reading Party Podcast with Megan and Lexi. This episode continues our season looking at modern retellings of the Iliad and the Odyssey, ancient epics known for both brutal violence and instances of sexual assault. This episode is not suitable for under-18s. We hope you have your favourite beverage and snack ready to go, because we've got our teas and are ready to start spilling the tea on our latest ancient story. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Reading Party podcast. This week we're continuing our look at Troy, Fall of a City. So this is part two of like four maybe, I don't know, I don't remember. But I am joined as always by the wonderful Lexi. What are you drinking? What kind of tea are you drinking? It is just English breakfast tea. It's a beautiful, beautiful early morning breakfast tea. It is, it's essentially what powers my life. Um, I drink far too much of it. I think I drink more tea than water. Um, but what are you drinking? Ah, uh, this is a special mandarin orange peach tea. It's like a Ooh. green tea and it's so good. I mean, that I'm, sounds incredible. I'm addicted to it. My friends here introduced it to me and now I'm like, oh, I need this all the time. Yeah, mandarin, orange, and peach green tea. That's a lovely mix. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've had mandarin and peach in the same one. It's, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, like it just as fruity and delicious as you think it'd be, but also soothing. Perfect. I'm mm. a little jealous. I'm going to have to track some down for myself. <laughs> Actually, I will, I will admit though that the best mm. tea I've ever had was mango black tea and it tasted like mangoes. I have some of that actually oh. and it's amazing. I love it. <laughs> I have a lot, I have quite an extensive tea collection and I tend to forget about them because a lot of them are loose leaf teas. So they're packed away to keep them fresh. And mm. then when I want a cup of tea, the black tea, so I have my english breakfast and then i have raspberry leaf red raspberry leaf tea just kind of on the counter so they're right there and they tend to be the ones i go for and, and then i remember i have all of these other delicious <laughs> exciting teas i should give them some time as well i know but no the mango black was very good it's always a constant struggle because i'm like no the other teas will get jealous they need their time <laughs> but then i'm like no but i want to do what's easy i mean my friend um gave me um turkish tea and I was like, mm. oh, my God, I want to – I was like, I, I, I need to drink this. It's so amazing, blah, blah, blah. Um, but currently I don't have anything to sort of, you know, filter through the, mm. the loose leaf. So I'm just like, no, i got to figure out what to do with it. And I still haven't done anything. It's been sitting in a bag for – since December. That's bad. That's really bad. It's not <laughs> awful. I have older teas than that. Okay. Then I don't feel guilty. No, you're fine. You're fine. And if you don't have a strainer, there's only so much you can do. Exactly, exactly. Anyway, so what did you think of the next couple of episodes? Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Agamemnon completely goes off the rocker. Like, everything. So the, the third episode is Siege. So the it opens and the Trojans have been in the city for a year, which is nice. I was wondering how they'd work the timeline um 
because especially the movie, it all seems to happen within a week. And again, it's a really difficult thing to like film a 10 year siege yeah. with a in a movie. Like no one really wants to watch that. Um, so this seems to be dealing with the time lapse by having it happen off screen, which, you know, is nice. So it opens Priam's beard has got significantly longer. Um, he's still wearing some very Johnny Depp parts of the Caribbean inspired black eyeliner, um, which is, I think out of all of the, the costuming in the film, in the, the series, the eyeliner is the thing that <laughs> I find most odd. It doesn't, and I like I don't know about ancient eyeliner in in Anatolia. Uh, it's not it's not something I've looked into before, but it doesn't. Yeah, sorry, we don't need to really discuss Priam's eyeliner, but it, it looks a little odd. Um, so yes, it's ten years, uh, no, a year later, and <laughs> they're dealing with the siege, and they're running out of food, and they're tunneling under the city, and then Paris and Hector ride out to Andromache's father and he starts tunneling the other direction so they meet in the middle and it's fantastic um, and then the Greeks kill everyone helping them for reasons I'm sure we'll get to as we keep going and then episode four is what happens in episode four well three is kind of the table setter yeah. where you see them Hatching the Cilicia plan oh, yeah, that's four true. is actually the um execution like the sacking of, of the city. Yeah. And then you have like the bloody battle mm -hmm. scenes. And that's where you actually have the spoils of war, which I was yes. excited about. Um start to divide things. And and we meet Briseis. Mm -hmm. And Briseis is really cool. And Chryseis is well that yeah, Agamemnon goes nuts and mm -hmm. sees this priestess that achilles brings back and is like essentially you're not my daughter but maybe you kind of are who knows and you can absolve me of all of my guilt and he like grabs her and takes her to his tent and is like talking to her about how he had no choice and it's, it's super creepy and then she essentially she essentially tells him he's a fucking monster <laughs> and and she's very glad that he's not her father and then he proceeds to rape her which is, yeah, yeah, that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's got one massive guilt complex, and it's like uh, slowly unraveling because yeah. it's it's because it's like even with the battle scene, you see, and he he kind of, I don't I don't think it was explicitly said, but you can kind of see how um, as as the war rages on, like the cost uh, you know, to him for what it would take to to be here, it's getting bigger and bigger mm. and so he's literally like no i'm owed more and more because mm -hmm. you know because it's i did like, this yeah yeah so it's kind of like wow it's yeah. kind of building not fantastic no <laughs> and yeah mm. i think generally those two were quite dark episodes and again it's about a siege and warfare and it's not surprising that there are dark episodes but also that was uh-huh they were very well shot, very dramatic, very atmospheric, and it is necessary for the plot and for the story, but... Graphic. There was a graphic and some unpleasant things in there. Yeah. I mean, we kind of knew from the first episode, like, the table setter of, like, yeah, graphically killing your daughter, like, slitting her throat. Um, yeah. You know, you're, it kind of sets the table, luckily, so you're kind of like, okay, well, they're not hesitating to go there, so we make it more. 
Right. Yeah. You're not surprised by the level of detail that they include. Definitely not for uh, children, 13 and under. <laughs> Don't watch this with your children. No. <laughs> it should be at least PG-13, if not rated R. 17 and up, please, please. Or what is it? What is it? For TV shows, it's rated M for mature audiences only. Mm. I think mature audiences only is an excellent suggestion for this one. <laughs> yeah, the movie, you can... I mean, there's a lot of blood, guts, and go. But, you know, it's funny, because even seeing the difference in these two adaptations the movie and uh the the tv show i was noticing how it's like this would be definitely rated m for mature and the movie even would be I, at least pg-13 mm -hmm. uh, for the violence but i was just thinking to myself like it it further illustrates this problem i have with i guess just american society and violence versus sex which is like oh, there's a ton of sex in, in the show, and so you yeah. definitely can't see that, and it's only for adults, and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, so they have to cut it out in the movie, but they're like, oh, no, we can watch people getting killed. Achilles can run someone through with a spear. That's absolutely fine. Exactly. You know, he can just, you know, stab his way, or you can see graphically, like, Patroclus's throat being cut and all this other stuff. But I'm just like, but... Uh, uh, uh. So, Yeah. But nipple is a step too far, Lexi. Oh, Think the, the poor children. children. They're going to be scarred if they see someone's <laughs> naked body. Oops. I, I forgot. It's totally unnatural. Yeah. It's. Mm -hmm. Well, it's you know, we kind of live in a country full of prudes. <laughs> a little bit. Little you know, bit. just stray observations. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I did want to highlight. In episode three, we finally kind of learn the backstory behind. We are introduced to this random character who looks like a farmer, but he has a dog, a really cute dog. And, you know, there's this, he has these interactions mm -hmm. with this kid, and he's kind of like, what's your name? What are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I'm, I think his name is Tealmon. Okay, that's what I heard. So he, um, yeah, we don't really know exactly what he's doing, but we see him pop up through the first like two episodes, and you're kind of like, okay, cool. He must just be another Trojan mm -hmm. farmer. Well, the the thing the thing that bothered me about him is that they kept focusing on him. Like one of the first, well, no, like his second appearance is him walking into Troy as the Greeks like kind of pull up and he's got this dog and he's got his backpack and he's walking in and then he tells this kid that he meets in the city oh yeah i've been here for two weeks already and you're like no no you haven't hmm this is wrong yeah so i think it was it's really interesting because i as a second time viewer like i i already remembered kind of like oh i didn't remember everything mm -hmm. but i was like no i remember he kind of is like a spy for the greeks because he does um help them in some way but then he also is nice to the trojans and um i think in episode like eight or something mm -hmm. he does something really it's not good or bad i mean it's good but it's not like it's confusing so i just remembered that i was like oh yeah he's kind of complicated because he does mm -hmm. interesting things and uh, so watching it again, I was like, oh, right, mm -hmm. he was planted kind of as a as a spy, and he has this dog, and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I just, I finally was happy to see kind of who he was in this one. I mean, it was in the context of he sends his doggy through mm -hmm. a tunnel alone, and the dog just runs across the plains, and no one says anything to Odysseus. Yeah, like the... Trojans don't notice this random dog running. 
I mean, maybe they were having a cup of coffee, so. That's true. They just sit on their high walls with their little, uh, I mean, it's Anatolia, so do we think they had, like, Turkish delight yet? Right. They're having <laughs> Turkish, yep, probably. Mm-hmm. Turkish delight, mm-hmm. Turkish coffee, sitting, having a little bit of a break. Yeah. Siege is, is hard work. But this, yeah, this dog runs across to the Greek camp and goes to Odysseus and someone's about to shoot him. Odysseus is like, no, stop. Um, And the soldiers are like, oh, this dog knows you. And Odysseus says he should. He's lived in my house for the past eight years. And you think, hmm, interesting. The plot thickens. And it's essentially a sign from Telamon that, like, now's the time. And you don't really know what, like, the time is. But um, as the plot goes forward, it becomes clear that this was a prearranged signal for Achilles to go in and remove Helen. Um, so he, Achilles and, and a couple of other soldiers break into Troy by like <laughs> the oldest ruse that I could probably think of. They leave a bunch of, what is it? Sheep, grain, sheep, I think, outside. Oh, goats, okay. They leave some kind of food outside the walls of Troy and the Trojans are starving. There's been this whole plot buildup of how they have no grain they're rationing everything the palace is opening its grain stores to help ration out the population so there there are these goats just casually wandering around and instead of thinking hmm this is a little suspicious maybe we shouldn't go outside and capture these random free goats maybe we should stay inside and, and instead not die a horrible painful death um the soldiers like two soldiers maybe go outside and like, oh, this could feed us for months and start gathering the goats. And then surprise, surprise, two of the goats are actually Odysseus and a soldier, uh, which not Odysseus, Achilles and a soldier. So the soldiers that went outside get killed and Achilles and this other dude put on their uniform and sneak inside. And Wasn't that Patroclus with him? I thought it was Patroclus uh... the whole time. And they probably, it, it may, yeah, probably was. It looked like Patroclus. Because, well, so far, I mean, Patroclus, you really see him in the context of he's just following Achilles around. Yeah, he's just like a right-hand man mm-hmm. type person. Mm-hmm. Um, that comes in episode four. Yes. <laughs> Very interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Achilles goes and, and uh, a, a surprising amount of sexual aggression in that particular scene that, again, was not expecting and they, Helen and Achilles clearly have like a pre-existing relationship and he tried to win her hand before she married Menelaus and you find out that he really does not like Menelaus at all because he doesn't respect him because he didn't win his own wife. His brother did and then just gave her away. And Helen's like, yes, it's such, <laughs> such a, a privilege to be pastor among men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I love the little banter that they had when she like first flounces into her chamber and then he's just like sitting there. Just chilling. Hello, Helen. You should have told me that your husband wasn't satisfying you. All you had to do was call me like ancient booty call. And she was just, ha, 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 how funny. You had your chance. And he's just like, well, okay. then. You're so funny. Yeah, no, his aggression toward her was surprising. I, um, if you're going to be rude about it, definitely hadn't remembered that. I mean, I knew they had this discussion, but then it's like even after that, she sort of makes her case mm-hmm. and yet sort of seduces him out of eloping with. I'm like, but 
so he wants her i was a bit yes. like why would you be like let's run away together yes it was <laughs> like you know you're here because uh you know a, a king is a, being a, a raving strumpet because he wants his wife back and yet and then a, another dude kidnapped her and married her apparently and now you have a third man achilles being let's run away together you and me and i'm like yeah but it wasn't would that start another war too? Like, wouldn't that, wouldn't Menelaus just like come after you then? We can do it. Interesting. <laughs> oh no, Menelaus isn't going up against Achilles, especially not this particular version of Achilles. I know. I think I've said it in most episodes we've done. Achilles will fuck you up. This Achilles, he's terrifying. He will genuinely fuck you up. <laughs> Yeah, he steals your wife. You're like, you know what, dude, have a great life. Here's a wedding gift. I'll see you at Christmas. It's the glare, right? Because th this portrait, yeah. like Brad Pitt kind of struts around and it's, he's all like, look at my rippling muscles and be impressed by my sword. This one, this one is more understated, but it's more terrifying because this one is like the tall, silent, glowery, has a if if looks could kill, he, everyone would be dead mm -hmm. because this one just kind of has this glowery stare, um, and he's not doing anything really. He's just like standing and glaring. He's just very quietly threatening. Mm -hmm. And then the few times that we have seen him act, he really follows through on the threat. It's not. It's not. There's no bravado there. He he just knows that he's a stone cold killer, mm -hmm. and he is better than you and he is right he just really takes that like i'm unlikable and i'm generally an ass to every single person in the world except for patroclus um to mm -hmm. a new level of yeah he's mm -hmm. he's just kind of an asshole but you know he's just like the silent one i don't know because the portrayals are so different because i've been going back and forth on it but do you have an opinion on like which portrayal suits him better because I kind of am like, well, the Brad Pitt version is kind of nice because that he plays up like the, the sort of peacockness, the bravado, and this one's much more understated. Yeah, I think I I do think the Brad Pitt version is closer to mm -hmm. what I remember of the source material. Um, the and I can I you you kind of can see at the end of episode four where the the rift between Agamemnon and Achilles really gets properly going. And it's not the kind of petty squabbling between a king and a prince that you kind of expect going in. And I, I say this a lot, like this, this show is nothing that I was expecting. And in all other adaptations, I've seen War Goddess, I think, stands aside because the relationship there is portrayed very, very differently. It's it's not an acrimonious one, but in in the movie, it's it's juvenile, really. Achilles is there to make a name for himself, and Agamemnon is there to steal as much gold as he possibly can. And I mean, it's a pissing contest. This. And it, it's a pissing contest in, in the poem as well, I feel. This is not, this is, diff, it feels very different. It feels, um, it, yeah, it just feels more threatening, more, um, it feels more like Achilles actually has grounds for 
his response and his reaction. And and that is, I think, directly related to how they portray the relationship between Briseis and Achilles and, and Patroclus. And we'll, I think we'll get to that uh, in a couple of minutes. But I, I think... I think the Brad Pitt Achilles is probably closer to like the the overt heroic make a name for yourself um Greek hero that, that we see in the classical world and I think the Achilles in the show is just scary. Mm-hmm. He's more believable I think as a character. Mm-hmm. Uh and the way that Helen gets him to go away and essentially says, and it kind of echoes the things that he has previously said to Patroclus, this isn't war. I'm a warrior. This is not war. This is stupid. Why am I here? And she says to him, this is this is beneath you. You're stealing, and you've snuck into a defenseless woman's bedroom. This is not honorable. This is not warfare. This is, like, what does she say? Like, this is not my warrior, this is not my Achilles, something along those lines, saying she expects better of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've, you've, you're stealing a defenseless woman who you admire. And I, I wasn't entirely sure if the admire was referring to the fact that he's like halfway in love with her or that he thinks she's, as a person, worthy of like admiration and respect. So you're stealing a woman you admire for a man you don't respect. And I was like, oh, that's a good line. Mm-hmm. That's a, And it works because he, he's like, well, you got me. Uh, <laughs> this isn't war. This isn't respectable. I'm leaving. Um, maybe we'll see you later. <laughs> I do. I love it because that also, uh, it's something to hit on his vanity because he, he's insanely vain. And so it's kind of funny because because he is so understated. You don't see any of this vanity the way you do when it's what is it like the the third line that Achilles says in the movie where he was I think where it's uh, when he's about to go to fight in Thessaly and then the you know the little boy who comes to get him is just like you know this guy you're fighting he's the biggest man I've ever seen I wouldn't want to fight him and he's like yeah that's why no one's gonna remember your name and so you know you, th- that being like you know maybe his third line of dialogue no one will remember you. Mm-hmm. And immediately sets it up as, oh, this man is vain. Yeah, this one, it was not really apparent. So I, I did like how you really need that push mm-hmm. from Helen to be like, no, where you know what honor is. You, you know what war is. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing these underhanded tactics? Like, this is not very heroic, very yeah. Greek of you. You're all about, like... She kind of implies he's doing Odysseus's dirty work. Yeah, and, you know, no warrior likes to be accused of mm-hmm. being another man's bitch. Because, right. like, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, I feel like so much of ancient Greek culture is, you, you're conquered. You're my bitch now. You're going to go fight. You're going to do this. Blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh, okay. No, that doesn't work for me. So, woohoo. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I really like that scene. I think it was well acted and... um. I think that ties in also with mm-hmm. the greater theme of the show, which is Helen is being she's she's just she's more likable in this one. I mean, even with that great scene uh, with with the grain when they're kind of like, "What do we do? We're starving," mm-hmm. and then she just walks into the hall and she's like, "Let me be heard. I'm giving away my portion," and they're like, ah. "Right." And it's the second time Prime's like, "Honey, we've listened to you already." 
And she's like, not to my satisfaction, you haven't, sir. Let's try this one again. And essentially shames the entire royal family into giving up their grain. Yeah, basically. I, I love that line, though, because they, they make her so much bolder in this version. But also they give her not only more agency, but they give her more to do. Because I feel like mm -hmm. Helen in the movie was very much... She didn't do anything. She was just kind of there. She, she was She was stolen, and then she walked around a bit. She walked around, and I think the only <laughs> thing she did was comfort Paris when he was feeling bad about himself. I ran away. That, oh, that's true. She cleaned up his wounds, and then she sat... Well, she sat next to Priam for a little bit on the walls, and then she cleaned up <laughs> her, uh, Paris's wounds, and it's kind of... She just kind of cried a lot, you know? Yeah. Like, like and I, I mean, fair play. I'd probably be crying in her situation also. But again, yeah, it was very star-crossed lovers. This is much more a, I am an independent person. I have agency. I've. This is a shitty situation that, yes, I am the cause of. So I am going to do everything I can to make it less shitty. Which is yeah. like, yeah. Oh, so makes the whole Cilicia thing <sighs> more tragic. <sighs> because, yeah. I mean... I don't know. I just, I remember mm -hmm. watching the grain scene and being like, not mm -hmm. only is it funny as shit, we've discussed it already and it's dismissed, not to my satisfaction. So beyond that, yeah, it was like the whole, I'm drawing on my experience. There was a plague in Sparta and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And then I thought it was so interesting, the scene where they don't just talk about what they're going to do. They show it. And I was a bit shocked to see like Helen <laughs> just like walks into the middle of the city as a royal does. And she's just like... Mm -hmm. You must all know me as Helen of Sparta. I'm here. You probably hate me because now you're war and starving. But um, here, I have some grain for you. And then, and then they're all just kind of like silent. That's apparently enough. Yeah, they're like silent for a minute. And then you just have this like one woman coming up, and then she's just like, "Oh yes, what you're doing is brave. You're Helen of Troy." And then she's like, "Okay, grain, please." So I thought that was interesting. I did like how that humanized her. And then even more, though, we get this great scene mm -hmm. between Andromache and Hecuba where she's kind of like, she has this charm. I mean, we just kind of really like mm -hmm. her. Please bite her. You need to be nice. We can't have a rift in the family as well as a war outside the walls. And Andromache's like... <sighs> I'll try to be nice. And you're like, oh, this is not going to go well, is it? This is not going to go well. And it doesn't. No. I thought it was really interesting. And I really appreciated, though, how... So they get together for, like, a tea later. And then Andromache's just... As she's... The original source material doesn't say anything about Andromache having trouble conceiving a child. So I thought it was really interesting that they decided mm -hmm. they would make it really hard for her to have a child. I know later it really pays off. So... I won't spoil that, but I really like this choice. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they have this great thing. So they're kind of bonding over tea. And then she's kind of gone around to midwives asking, you know, how, how do I get pregnant? Help. My womb is empty and shriveled and I need help. And you feel really, really bad for her. So she starts asking about Hermione and she's just like, well, you have a daughter, you privileged person. You had a child and you left her. Why? Like, I need to know. And yeah, you get this really emotional. Oh, yes. My daughter. I had her at 14. I wasn't ready to be a mother, and uh, she's kind of better off without me because she's like her daddy. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. I was going to say, so I'm not a mom, but luckily you are. So what did you think of that scene as a mother? Yeah, it was It was interesting. Ah, It was... I'm glad they addressed it because having shown Hermione and having shown how Hermione feels about her mother... 
I was kind of wondering what Helen felt like. So I have, I have five children and I can't for one second imagine just leaving them to follow some random man across the ocean because I have an unhappy marriage. If you do that, you take the kids with you. <laughs> like I'd be packing all of my children in this trunk with me, which is difficult because they range from like 15 years to one year. So that it's <laughs> not a lot of room in this trunk anymore. Um, definitely wouldn't be able to bring any jewelry or clothes or anything. It would just be like a trunk full of <laughs> small children and me. Um, it was it it did play very well i felt as a parent because parenting is hard i so i had my first one i was 30 i cannot for one second imagine having a kid at 14 you're still i and i like i know again ancient world was different it's not anachronistic for this to have happened and it's it's not putting our own modern understanding of parenthood back into the ancient world is and it's it's tricky and it, it's not like always advisable but again this this is this is a show for the modern audience so they i feel like they had to address it because like i said having shown hermione you have to then like at least have helen talk about her a little bit like how could you leave your kids so easily again i wouldn't be able to i think a lot of parents would struggle with it at the same time a lot of parents are terribly shitty to their children so it's not outside of the realm of possibility for this to be a reasonable action. And she does, the fact that she says Hermione was always more like Menelaus than me, I think makes it more believable because she said how unhappy Menelaus makes her um, and that she's not happy. And really, as far as parenting goes, I feel like for a royal woman at that time, she's probably discharged her duty. She's produced a child. I mean, not a male child. So, you know, mm, Helen, you should have stayed and had a son. Uh, joking. But, I mean, Hermione is a essentially a grown princess. She's ready to go and, and be married. It's not like she left a three-year-old who still really needed a very active parent. So it was a little bit odd to have her essentially say, because Andromache points out, she's Helen is talking about Hermione in the past tense. And Helen says, well, that's how I think of her, which is like, ooh, ooh, you've essentially, like, by leaving, you know you've cut ties with everyone you've known before, including your own daughter. And you've somehow, like, this is something you've come to terms with. And there's not a lot of emotion in there. And again, it it's explained by Helen saying I had Hermione very young and also I'm not a natural mother, which I think was probably a good explanation. Andromache clearly desperately wants a child and I think this almost dismissal on Helen's part of the fact that she has a daughter, she left her daughter, I think feeds into the rift that's already there and Andromache is finding more and more things that that she dislikes even though Helen is being like very kind she gives Andromache this fortified wine that she was drinking when she got pregnant so maybe it will help Andromache conceive and and she says I truly wish that you get what you desire but Helen is so everything she's done so far completely inverts what is expected of her and Andromache is set up in this series as such a um like a, a good wife 
someone who aspires to motherhood, who is like consulting every midwife she can possibly find. I mean, there's only two in the city, but she's consulting both of them. And the others, like the second one, she has to go down into the lower town and you kind of get the sense that this is slightly transgressive of her to do. And it's like, it's what she wants. And she says, um, Helen says in that scene, I've, I've missed the company of women. Like, I don't have any friends. How about you? And Andromache's response is, my husband is the only friend I need. And you're like, oh, burn. <laughs> but Andromache is set up as this paragon of, of womanly virtue, mother, <laughs> wife. And Helen is like, she abandoned her child. She abandoned her first husband and like her duty and, and followed Paris across the sea. And I think it, it really brings those two dichotomies into quite considerable direct tension. So I, I think essentially, I think Helen's response was, I think, believable. Would it have been my response? We've established no, but also I wasn't 14 and living in a palace when I had my children and like, I, I don't know how much input she would have had into actually raising Hermione. Again, I'm, I'm not an expert on Greek women, Greek royal women and parenting, but it, if they follow some of the other trends we see in the ancient world, they probably didn't do a lot of the actual parenting themselves. So yeah, I, I think it was it was believable and reasonable and I think it really helped to illuminate some of the the tensions between Andromache and between Helen because you think well Andromache has all the way through not liked Helen because of the calamity she's bringing on Troy but she also knows she left a child behind and that is like Andromache's one big thing you had what I desperately want and you just left yeah yeah, I mean, I was looking at that from a really modern lens, but yeah, I couldn't mm. help but think, because I mean, you know, I, I have older friends, so I know, or I've seen, I don't personally know, but mm. I've seen like the whole, that must have been so hurtful, because it's like, you, you've done every, you feel like you've done everything right, and you just desperately more than anything want a child, and that's like, the one thing your body's failing, and then of course you see the person who like yeah. has the thing you want, and then for them to be so dismissive and be like, yeah, I didn't want it anyway. Mm. I can imagine that would be so terribly angering. I don't know. There's there's another TV mm -hmm. show that uh, I was watching. I don't I, I don't remember anything about what was really happening other than people were struggling to get pregnant because they were trying and trying and trying and just wouldn't work. She had like a hostile uterus or whatever. And then this other person who just like did not. Sorry, I love the terminology people, well, doctors use in terms of women's health, a hostile <laughs> uterus. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Let's, let's definitely make this my yeah, fault. Yeah. So I'm just like, oh, okay. So, but yeah. And then the other one, it like just keeps getting pregnant. And she's like, no, I just don't want to. And you just see like these characters get madder and madder and madder and be like, what the fuck? So you, putting that very modern sort of thing onto mm -hmm. the ancient, I was just like, oh man. I mean, it still tracks though. I'm like, oh damn, the one thing you want, you mm -hmm. can't have. And then no one said it in this series, mm -hmm. but uh, just from the other stuff i was watching yeah i think uh, the, the person who kept getting pregnant was just like oh yeah it's so easy to get pregnant anyone can do it all you need are the parts and then you just see this person's face who like can't do it and she's like uh-huh you want to say that to my face it's so easy anyone can do it she's like what about me so i was like oh uh, so it's kind of i i had that scene from the other show in my mind when i was wow. watching this scene 
And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the ancient version of that where, mm-hmm. yeah, so it makes it sort of unconscionable. So, so already she didn't like Helen for sure. But I think for mm-hmm. her, because having a child is like the most important thing because she has a husband who she deeply, deeply loves and mm-hmm. it's so different and she wasn't miserable. She's not 14, <laughs> but she's just, that's the one thing I wanted in this life and it is my duty. And yeah, just to, to see someone basically pissing it away, uh, I think she's like, that's the biggest sin you can do as a parent, which is one, leave the kid, mm-hmm. and then two, not even like say, oh, I didn't really like her to begin with. <laughs> yeah. What? It's not even miss. Like, I, I don't know. I, for me, again, not a parent, but for me, I think I was going into that scene expecting more of like a, yes, I miss her, but at the same time, I was miserable and i really mm-hmm. like like i thought it was gonna be some sort of like feministic no i needed to break free but no i still love my daughter i just i couldn't survive in this mm-hmm. situation but for her to <laughs> sort of say that essentially say well them's the breaks she'll be fine she'll be better now i'm not that uh. yeah so so for her to just be like she's better off without me i was kind of struck and i was like oh my god what kind of what so that was shock it was it was a very and i feel like andromache's story so i didn't much like andromache to begin with she's quite abrasive um (laughs) as opposed to the movie one but the movie one literally had like two lines yeah do anything but i really like the the character development for her and how they're giving you her backstory and the struggle with her fertility and i think it makes her much more of a sympathetic character and Mm -hmm. then she loses her dad and Mm -hmm. tries to essentially like just leave troy on a horse like she gets pregnant at at the end of the fourth episode she tries Mm -hmm. to get on a horse and leave troy so she can go and and give him his burial rights so that he'll be able to pass over to uh And Hector, like, finds her and is like, what on earth are you doing? You can't go out there. And she says, well, I'm a woman in mourning. They'll let me through. He said, well, <laughs> at least let me come with you. Um, and, or why, like, why can't you go later? And she kind of looks at him and he looks at her and then dim- dismisses all of the servants and says, um, are you pregnant? And she says, yes. <laughs> I couldn't tell you because you wouldn't let me go. And it's very... <laughs> I had a lot more respect for her and I, I liked her far more as a character by the end of, of episode four. Um, because in the she was a little one-dimensional yeah. in the beginning and th- this is absolutely fair. She didn't get an awful lot of screen time. She was kind of an ancillary character in episodes one and two, which I think is, is reasonable because it sets up, they were setting up the whole war. You need more Helen in Paris than you need Andromache. But they spent a considerable amount of time with her in, in three and four <laughs> And you kind of, you get to know her far better. And actually this is a woman who is deeply rooted in family. She clearly has a very strong relationship with her father, with her husband. Um, and she's she's trying desperately to do not only what is expected of her, but what she wants. The, the pregnancy thing, never once is it framed as, I need to give you an heir, which was... I enjoyed that. It it wasn't a, this is my duty, I have to do it. It was a Hector and Andromache love each other very much and they want a child because they love each other and because they want to be parents together. 
not we need to carry on the the line of Troy. Yeah, they do give all the women more agency, not just like Helen. They do. It's it's been very refreshing. Hecuba is a fantastic character as well. I love her. I'm I'm mm-hmm. like I I do spend a significant amount of time being like oh Hecuba did she's so cool she did this or she said this or she's so nice like Mm -hmm. she'd be a great mother she's super nurturing Mm -hmm. in in the opening like the first episode when Priam kind of realizes that it's Paris that Hector is beating the ever-loving shit out of Mm -hmm. Hecuba just kind of looks at him Mm -hmm. and Priam goes and, and rescues him and and she says I like you saw what I went through last time. I when they like, put him out for exposure, I cannot do that again. Mm-hmm. I absolutely cannot do that again. And the way that they're building Paris being a curse on Troy, because again that comes out very strongly in episode four. The way they're building that and kind of slowly revealing it to the rest of the Trojan royal family, because Hector finds out end of episode three beginning of episode four i'm not sure the the high priest tells him like the blood ran black you can't let him go back the way that cassandra is continually saying he can't be here this is dangerous he needs to leave um and 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 people are very slowly understanding what happened because then andromache finds the midwife from who delivered paris and she says, oh, well, Paris was, was the last, Alexander was the last baby I delivered. And she says, why? And the response is, you should ask Hecuba. And Hecuba was like, oh, she did a shitty job. I didn't really <laughs> want her around. You shouldn't use her. And Andromache's thinking, or it seems like she's thinking that that seems a little suspicious. So everyone is very slowly getting this reveal of, of actually Alexander is a danger to them. But it's all very wrapped up in Hecuba's love for her child, mm-hmm. who she was compelled to expose at birth. And he came back and she is not losing him again. And she's doing her damnedest to kind of build strong relationships between this returned son and the rest of the family to make him feel like he's at home and to welcome him and his... like. <laughs> new bride who is causing all of this like <laughs> trial and tribulation she's like no this is we are family we will support each other because that is what families do and she and priam are just kind of like holding the whole thing together and it's it's a very interesting one she has to do a lot of heavy lifting well mm-hmm. she is a character didn't even exist in the in the movie actually and i was like why she she i think briefly sat next to priam in a similar vein to helen but she's never introduced she doesn't speak and i think i maybe only saw her once no she didn't even because the only time you see women sitting next priam is the duel between achilles and hector and it's andromache on one side with the baby Mm. it's andromache it's andromache i completely missed that so priam's just a widower (laughs) Yeah, and then and then he's like, you know, and then you see another open chair, and then you're like, ah, oh, so this must be waiting for Hecuba. And then, no, that's when you get the... That's where Hecuba sits. Helen. Yes. Come and sit with me, child. Okay. So but, so it's, it's the two daughters. There were just too many women in that film, Lexi. That was the problem. There were too many women, and they were playing too big a role, and really the men needed something to do. So... Which is hilarious because, well, they were the only two women who really had anything to say or do or be shown. But yeah, too many women. 
Iya. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because I'm literally like, um, but they show random women in the city, but I'm like, Briseis, Helen, and Andromache are like the only women in the entire film who are shown. And so that's three, and yet that's too many. Absolutely. But it takes away attention from Achilles. Oh, right, right. The preening peacock. And then and the, the strumpet kings, of, co of course. Of course. <laughs> I love that strumpet kings. <laughs> Can we just make a book called Strumpet I, Kings? I think so. Or at least a t-shirt. I want a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, uh, so, so it's interesting how we, we really like Hecuba here. And they make a big deal mm -hmm. of, of saying, you know, in Troy, women are equal to men and we're more egalitarian. Um, right. And it seems like, you know, she makes half the decisions. Like, Prime never just kind of goes and makes a decision. It's like, this is what I say. It's, it's always like, they're together. Um, so, that, uh, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. So to have her do a lot of the heavy lifting in this series, when she didn't even exist in the other one, it's quite refreshing. Yeah. No, it was it was good. So we should we should talk about Patroclus and Achilles, and we should talk about the jewel before we wrap this up. So which do you want to start with? Let's do Patroclus and Achilles because you know <laughs> the boys. I was yes, that was so they're they're fighting. There's the the plague that sweeps through um, the the Greek camp because you know Agamemnon goes. I think falls off the cliff of or the madness mm. cliffs or something is how one of the soldiers puts it, um, which I think is quite apt. So he's fallen off the the cliffs of madness. He's going completely nuts and. Um, Apollo, which I thought was very subtle. I had to rewind and just watch that little bit again. So there's this, a very brief scene where the Greek soldiers are sleeping next to the fire and this man, you see his legs, because the camera's down low looking at the faces of the sleeping Greeks, and this man kind of walks around them, bends down and touches one of the soldiers and you see his face and then he stands up and walks on again. And then the next morning everyone has the plague. And it's it's Apollo, not, mm -hmm. yes, Apollo. It's Apollo spreading plague for Agamemnon's offense against his priestess. And it was very, very subtle. Like, unless you're looking for it, you miss it. And I enjoyed that. That was clever. Um, but then Patroclus gets this plague. And Briseis, who is like a bit of a badass mm -hmm. as far as, you know, as it goes. She's she's enslaved, so there's only so much she can do. But she's already tried to kill Achilles. Um, and then she tries to kill Patroclus. He like come, is cleaning her wound and she grabs his knife and says to Achilles, essentially, either you let me go or I kill him. And Achilles is like, honey, I spared your life once. I don't like repeating myself. It's your call. And she looks at him and just drops the knife. And, Wise choice. But she comes up with some medicine for Patroclus because he was kind to her. And then... They they send Chrysaeus back and the plague goes and Patroclus recovers. And there's this scene where they're fight, like fighting, wrestling on the beach um, to help Patroclus gain his strength. And Briseis is just kind of sitting there watching them. And they wrestle a bit. And then um, I think Achilles gets Patroclus on the floor and they, they're kind of on top of each other wrestling. And then they start kissing. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. We're doing this. And just that's okay. And Briseis is just there watching, like very chill and calm, and it's just it's just what happens. You're like, okay, good. This isn't shocking. Fantastic. And then they come and sit with Briseis, and then they're all kissing. <laughs> and then we have a threesome 
um, not as graphically depicted, I feel, as some of the other mm-hmm. sex scenes. Uh, this is like, this is still the US. We have to, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of sensibility there. And the like. <laughs> Uh, afterwards, the camera pans over the three of them just lying on the beach, sound asleep together, and you hear Agamemnon in the distance yelling for Achilles. And, like, that's a whole scene. Again, not what I was expecting. That needs to be the tagline for these, <laughs> these episodes. Like, not expected. Megan is shocked. Um, <laughs> it was very well done. There's clearly a lot of mutual respect between the three of them. And they they were kind of building that with Briseis to begin with. Like Achilles says, I saved you because I felt you deserved to live, not I I want a random concubine. Um and it's Agamemnon says when he when Achilles brings Briseis into the camp, I like, you never take slaves. What this is this is bizarre. And it's because she stood up to him and because she tried she tried to beat him up. It's like you deserve to live. You're you're a brave person, and you can. We'll see how this goes. And then suddenly they're in a relationship with Patroclus. It was it was cool. As I as I said, because I, I didn't I didn't remember exactly what episode it, it happened in, but I remember when when we recorded mm-hmm. our last episode, I was like, oh yeah, their relationship it gets saucy. I I wasn't expecting to have it so soon. I was deeply gratified because I thought I'd have to like. <laughs> watch several more episodes and as established last time i did not have time to do that but i didn't i only had to watch two and it's right here and it was it was good exactly well because i was gonna say like were you expecting more like the movie of just like okay achilles and Perseus? were you expecting this whole like threesome um action that they got no no i was i was expecting a sexual relationship between patroclus and um achilles partly because this show has not shied away from overtly sexual relationships and partly because because it's not a movie i feel like a queer reading of that relationship is more easily done because you don't have to worry about things like box office numbers um and far-right christians boycotting uh your film so i i was expecting that aspect of of the relationship i was not expecting that briseis was going to be involved in it but it was such a welcome surprise because um, I really liked it. Because, you know, you, yeah, you would think, okay, maybe the it two was. guys and then on the side, once Perseus comes in, you're like, okay, well, maybe mm-hmm. he'll kind of just like shift his attention to, to her. I'm like, no, no, it was, uh, oh, you're, you're here. We like you. Yeah. Come join us. We're going with some ancient Greek polyamory today. Fantastic. And it makes, it makes the whole Agamemnon's removal of Perseus to appease his own fucked up honor mm-hmm. much more poignant mm-hmm. because it with with the movie uh you know you know achilles like briseis and he like promised to protect her and all this stuff so there's like there's a male protective thing going on and and that kind of explains achilles reaction to someone that he had literally just met in the show she's clearly been there a while and they've developed this relationship. There seems to be a, a good deal of, of mutual respect and affection between Briseis and Patroclus and Briseis and Achilles. And it it feels more real when Agamemnon removes Briseis and Achilles is just like, if you take her, I am not fighting anymore. It, it's, it's a much more, the, the reaction is much more in proportion to the relationship. Whereas with the movie, it's, 
like we said, it's a pissing contest between two men. Mm -hmm. In the show, it's this is someone I care for. You can't do this. If you do do this, there are going to be severe consequences because this is an important person in my life. And Agamemnon's like, we don't need you. And then Achilles says, you are nothing without me. Agamemnon leaves, takes Perseus, Achilles goes into his tent, and one of the soldiers standing around just laughs and says, we are fucked. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, you are. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting because the scene between Achilles and Agamemnon, when, when Agamemnon is like, you know, taking Perseus, I found it really interesting mm. because the, the reaction, I mean, I know he's playing the character in a more muted way, but it's so critical to the original source material because in the Iliad itself, it clearly mm -hmm. describes like the insane rage of Achilles, like just the absolute fury and the insult for stealing his mm -hmm. prize. And I felt that they showed a little of it, obviously, in his reaction, but not as much as mm -hmm. I feel like would have been warranted. I don't know. Did you feel like it was understated? Yeah. The re so the I think the reaction was understated, but also this Achilles doesn't have big reactions. Like, we know how he feels about Patroclus, and then looking back at, at how Briseis like held a knife to his throat, he just sat there. There wasn't a big explosion, and when I think the the most reaction we saw from him was when he stormed into Agamemnon's tent to make him give Chryseis back, and that was literally mm. life or death. Patroclus was dying you have to give this woman back and even then it wasn't it wasn't loud it wasn't terribly violent it was mm -hmm. a strong reaction but it was um i think the power came the power in the reaction came from it being a strong reaction from someone who is portrayed as a very quiet like stoic man mm. um when Briseis is taken, it, it is a quiet reaction, but I think it's um, in keeping with the, like the the brooding, threatening vibe that Achilles has throughout the rest of the show so far. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess it would be out of character f after you've spent all this time hyping up, or just just portraying this version of him. Yeah, mm -hmm. I just I don't know. I guess it works for this adaptation. But yeah, if they wanted to be a little more accurate, I feel to the original source material, like yes, yes he's been understated. Yes. But like to me, this would have been like the time because there hasn't really been an opportunity yet to to really have him explode or be really you know furious ab mm -hmm. about something yet. So if you were going to just have him blow up about what they think, now would have been the time because now would be you yeah know, in the original like this was like the biggest insult paid so it makes me wonder going forward how this particular version of achilles is going to react to patroclus's death <laughs> like is it going to be an explosion or is it going to be quiet deadly fury and i i think they could reasonably go either way with it if i had to put money on it right now it would be quiet deadly fury <laughs> but it, it will be interesting to see what happens well I do know what happened. And you know. So. I do know what happens. <laughs> and um, I, I'm not going to spoil it for you. But yeah, it's uh, it's I'll, what I will say is it's terribly impressive to watch. It's it's very emotional. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I think I watched the entire thing with my mouth hanging open. 
And no matter how many times I tried to like shut my jaw, it just, mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't. <laughs> just not happening. No, it wouldn't. And, and there were okay. some things, you know, that they added that weren't in the original source material, but I felt that it really added to the scene. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, we're going with it. Yeah. I will be excited when that happens. We should talk about the duel before we wrap up for today. Yes. Oh, the duel. So. Quite different from the uh, other duel, right? From the movie version. Mm-hmm. Very much. So Paris nearly wins at one point. Mm-hmm. And what, so before we even get to the actual duel, Helen is very much, you can't do this. Menelaus is not going to challenge you to a duel unless he knows he can win. There is a trick somewhere. I don't know what it is, but there is a trick. Mm-hmm. And they go ahead with it anyway. Hector says, well, they've, they've given us the freedom really to dictate whatever terms we want, which is... I think very clever on the part of the Greeks because they can like it it puts the Trojans at ease. There's not going to be like any tricks and, and it'll be it'll be okay. We can like rig this in a way that is most preferential for Alexander. And but because of Helen's reaction, I was a little bit like I can't see what's coming. I don't know how they're going to do it, but something is going to happen that is not going to be good for um good for Alexander. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I was always looking forward to this duel because obviously, as we know, in source material, um, Aphrodite is the one who spirits him away. Yeah, She spirits him away and puts him literally in their bed. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, that would be a little hard, mm-hmm. even with the inclusion of the gods. That's uh, like a bridge too far. The way they're doing it. Yeah, that would be that would be bordering on cheesy yes so i do kind of like how they changed it and so unlike the movie where he just kind of runs away because he's (laughs) scared you know this one is very much like you still have uh the goddess like interfering um Mm -hmm. but in a more like whispery type of um paris you should run away now you know (laughs) like (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's like oh it's it's a prompt rather than a, a, like a direct action. But I was I was pleasantly surprised by how Paris did. Like he he nearly killed uh, Menelaus at one point, and then Menelaus, we'll, we'll talk about how and why, gets the upper hand, and Paris just mm-hmm. kind of kneels there, essentially waiting to be mm-hmm. executed. Which, you know, he's again great departure from the movie, and I think very much in keeping with the the character of Paris that we're being presented with throughout the TV show. He's trying. Um, he knows he's fucked up and he's trying. And then he's he's kneeling there, Menelaus' sword on his neck, and then you see Aphrodite and she whispers, run, and he just gets up and books it. So... The only thing I was really thinking, though, also, was like, even after... So once he starts running, I was sitting there like, why aren't you chasing him? You have chariots! You can do it! They're right there! Yeah. Like, he's booking it, but I'm like, you're faster, just go. I mean, that was the theme. I think the theme of these two episodes together for me was um, everyone says Paris is bad for Troy, and you have a billion chances to, like, kill him. Why don't you kill him? You know, so in this one, it's like, they have chariots mm-hmm. that could easily chase him, but they don't. And I'm like, what? Okay. In in episode three, um, when when Hector finds out from the priest, he's like, don't let right. him return. It's doom, the black blood from the pigeons. And then you have that great scene where he kind of sneaks up behind Paris and you're not sure if it's real or not, mm-hmm. but he has the knife. And then all you see is benevolent Zeus just kind of like staring at this interaction. And then yeah. he's like, 
oh, maybe I should. And then, you know, and then you're not sure if it's like real or not. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I I, I feel like I spent a lot of these two episodes being like, why don't someone just do us a favor and kill him already? (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. It would solve a lot of problems, I think. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But during the duel, we find out what Menelaus' trick is. And it's the, the high priest who... They did the, yep. the whole pigeon thing, found that the blood ran black. And he, he tells Hector, previously when they're in Cilicia, every day since Paris has returned, every pigeon I have sacrificed, the blood has run black. <laughs> this is a problem. <laughs> Someone needs to do something. I am not allowed to. I have been banished. Maybe you can do something because you're a prince. And he doesn't do anything. But this, this priest is taken captive uh, by the Myrmidons when yep. uh, they attack Cilicia. And... Odysseus like sees that he has a brand uh, from a Trojan exile and is like, "Yeah, you're the high priest. What do you know?" Yeah. And obviously he tells him. So during the duel, Menelaus is like, "You'd kill me. Like you brought an entire curse onto Troy." And then this, pri- you have to like hear what this man has to say. And mm-hmm. you turn around and, and the priest is standing there, and he he explains what happens. And it, it's this little drips of information that have been fed to everyone else. And now finally Paris knows the truth. Yeah. But it's interesting that they included the scene. And from what I remember, it works for this show, for this adaptation. But um, I found it, I still found it a bit interesting because I'm like, yeah, that doesn't happen in the original source material. You don't have the priest revealing the, mm-hmm. the bad destiny or whatever. So mm-hmm. again, I just was like, oh, interesting mm-hmm. choice. That there's a curse, yeah to affect the duel in this way, but I suppose it works for what they're doing in the show. Yeah, very different stylistically, totally everything. I don't know. I, I like this one. Yeah. I don't know if I like, I, I think I like this one better than, than the film version. No, it is, it is a very different feel. And we've spoken before about how Paris is, he's a very different character to the movie. He's not this, this coward. He's made shitty choices and like life decisions more generally but he is trying and hector at like towards the end of episode four is praying at the altar to aphrodite and hecuba walks up and he says to her can i ask you something if 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 someone told you that someone close to you was um like uh bringing disaster or something like is a bad presence what would you do and her she clearly knows what he's talking about but isn't going to say that she does her response is well is this person evil or bad and and he says you've only really ever seen them try to do what's right and i think that Mm -hmm. captures paris's um personality he's not a bad person he's a little immature at times but he is genuinely trying to do the right thing he's trying to fix the problem that he created to the best of his abilities but isn't willing to do the one thing that could yeah because we do get that scene between the brothers in i think episode three where mm-hmm. after hector knows the value of information and he's like uh and and like paris like does him the favor of being like i would do anything to save troy anything. so then he's just like what if it means uh you could never, never sell him again and he's like anything i but wouldn't that. do that yeah you know, yeah. so it kind of sets it up where you're like, you see how much the devotion goes, but only to mm-hmm. a point because he still is kind of a selfish dickweed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's, he's, he's a definite improvement on the movie uh, or the character in the movie and is definitely trying. But yes, there is still 
Helen is still this massive blind spot for everyone, actually, except except mm -hmm. Andromache. And Andromache mm -hmm. brings that up during their little conversation. She says, I, like, I see, I see what happens. <laughs> yeah, with Paris, you charm everyone. And I felt a little bad for Helen because I, like, I don't think she's manipulative. I don't think she's mm -hmm. trying. I think it's like a divine glamour thing going on. Like she, everyone just loves her. You just feel bad for her and, and everyone, honestly, because I think with the inclusion of the gods, what it has is like you can see and you know as the audience that like a lot of this stuff happened because of the gods mm -hmm. and it, it just comes through a little better that like half of what these people do, it's because of the gods. And so mm -hmm. it's not like them necessarily. They'll do they'll make mm -hmm. stupid, horrible decisions because they all kind of do. Right. But like right. so much of it is more understood that like they are still at the whim of these more powerful beings yeah it, it, it to a certain extent it doesn't matter what choices they make mm -hmm. they're all doomed anyway yeah it's kind of this question of was this inevitable and it's kind of mm -hmm. yes it kind of was and if you if you have the gods it has to be inevitable well it's funny because as i was thinking of this theme of inevitability I wrote a paper earlier in my semester. I had to write an entire essay on whether I thought the, the Greek debt mm -hmm. crisis was inevitable or not. And so I did a bunch of research to try to turn it into a, a more philosophical than straight up like <laughs> financial issue. And I ended up playing around with mm -hmm. the meaning of the word inevitable. And what I got was there's two ways you could interpret that actually. There's inevitable is it, an eventuality that's going to happen no matter what. And so you just let it happen. Or does something become inevitable because mm -hmm. of the lack of actions to stop the thing? And so taking that mindset into watching this, I was like, I think, mm -hmm. no, this one would hit the first definition, which is they could have tried anything and it still would have happened because, it, you know, they're not taking actions really to stop it from happening and genuinely wouldn't have changed. Yeah. I found that quite interesting and I was like, oh my God, we're playing with language mm -hmm. and with meaning and it's so great and amazing and I love it. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I sound like a philosopher now. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, I love these two episodes. Very gritty, very intense. Your gritty is really the, yeah, gritty and intense are perfect words. They're not, they're not fun. No, they're not, they're not. It's, a, I will say it's a, it's a very engaging enthralling watch but you're not like oh this is exciting i love it it's an excellent yeah. drama yes yeah kind of like a horrified um this is so good it is amazing but also ha ha ha, ha. i need a big hug after i watch this <laughs> yeah it's like you just it's like you watch because it's the horrified sort of trance where you're like yeah. i need to know what happens but also ugh. so to kind of wrap this episode up what are you most looking forward to in the next two episodes i think we've already covered the things that i was looking forward to last time i think i said briseis and the relationship between patroclus and achilles and all of those were covered beautifully in these two i am very interested to see where they take both andromache's individual story mm -hmm. and the relationship between andromache and helen because i think Again, not in the source material, but I am enjoying what they're doing with those two aspects very much. How about you? So my hope from the last episode still hasn't been covered yet. I, I know it's coming. I don't remember when. Um, but again, the introduction of mm -hmm. Penthesilea and, uh, you know, the Amazons in, in the war. But also because we have Paris, you know, ending the episode, just like running, running away, like you kind of get the sense that like, 
yes, the both both armies now, since he's going to just run away and he's clearly not going back to Troy. So you know that like both the Trojans and the Greeks are going to spend a significant amount of time searching for him, hunting him, just running after him. So mm-hmm. I don't remember a lot about what happens when he's like away from the city. But um, like, as you know, like Helen is there in Troy and she's already stressing in these two episodes about can, can we send riders after? Where, where is he? What, what is he doing? And so I'm interested mm-hmm. to rewatch how his long absence affects her because the more he's gone, you know, people are kind of just like, well, mm-hmm. you're here, but like he's gone. And then when they yeah. start to like suppose like, well, what if he's dead? Mm-hmm. Do you stay here or do we just give her back? What happens now? So I'm excited to see mm-hmm. like what happens in this inevitable chase of like, where the fuck is he in the wild? Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I'm looking forward to. Excellent episodes. I'm looking forward to the next two. Me too. Well, this has been a really great discussion. It has. Everyone, join us next week for the next (laughs) two episodes. (sighs) Beautiful. I feel like we've done really well this past week. I think we have too, because we really have, we've had so much to chew through. Because at first I was a little Mm -hmm. concerned. I was like, oh no, are two episodes enough to to really Mm -hmm. fill up an hour? Do we need three? I've been really pleased that we've both like had enough to to fill up and like we didn't even talk about the conspiracy subplot yeah. in episode four i know uh, which i i think is fine we don't need to cover everything in every single episode literally never mentioned that cilicia was sacked and burned to the ground uh you know i think because of Helen. right no i was really excited though because i did i did remember the threesome and so when you're we talking mm-hmm. the other day i was like i can't wait to hear her reaction about this threesome. yeah completely like, out of the blue I, but really works, I think, with the characters that they have. It does, but it's so saucy. It was very believable. Yes. Two men kissing in the surf, and then suddenly they're also kissing Briseis. Hmm. Because then I was like, well, the way Brad Pitt portrays it, he's like, all about Briseis, Briseis, Briseis. And then, you know, in this one, it builds it up where it's like Achilles and Patroclus. Mm-hmm. And then I was almost like, yeah, but adding her to the dynamic, like, is he going to get jealous? Are they going to start fighting? Is it going to be... And it was so just... Yeah, it was just so nice. Because it's like he clearly loves Patroclus so much. Yeah. Well, he loves him so much. And so to have him be distracted Mm -hmm. by her, is he going to be a bit jealous of this? But he also likes her. Mm -hmm. But is Patroclus going to be jealous? And then they just like were so nice and worked it out. And I'm like, I honestly was like, that is the tamest, most polite threesome I've ever seen in my life. There's no jealousy. There's just, let's share, share, share. (laughs) And I was like, ah. It was very nicely done. It was like a little calm of of like love and acceptance in a sea of, we're just going to kill everyone and burn all the things and... Also, Agamemnon is a fucking nut job now. Yes. No, I was I was really excited to talk about it also, just because, mm-hmm. like, the first time I watched this show, no one really w- wanted to talk about the threesome scene because they were mm-hmm. all too, like, <gasps> no, 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 no. This was, like... No, it was great. And I, like you said last time, I, I'm really enjoying the colorblind casting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a big deal. No one's making a big deal of it, but it's just, I don't know, refreshing, maybe? 
It is refreshing because remember there was uh, Martin Bernal's Black Athena book published and like mm, everyone yeah. was so fucking pissed about it. Oh my God, the backlash about that. Yeah. So I kind of, I remember the first time I watched it, I was, I was like, oh no, is there going to be that kind of backlash? Mm-hmm. Because, oh no, you can't handle Black Athena. And then I'm like, now you have Black Zeus mm-hmm. and Black Achilles, Black and Patroclus. Artemis. And Artemis. Like, so I was kind of like, are you? Yeah. And I, from what I remember when the f- series first dropped, there were always the smaller radical yeah. people online who were like, no. But for the most part, actually, I think- Ancient was- Greece was white. Yeah. You met a Greek person? Yeah. You, this is, something tells me, no, not really. Not for those people. But yeah, no, it was really interesting to see. And I, I really like it. And I really love the actor who plays Achilles. So for me, I'm definitely not upset about his casting. Even if white people would prefer Brad Pitt, you know. No, he's fantastic. I I think he's I I don't know if it's because his Achilles is so different or or what, but it just the way he's playing it is mm-hmm. it's very very good. I think he's probably one of my favorite casting choices in the whole TV show. No, definitely mine as well. That and Nestor, I really like the actor who plays Nestor. Yeah. Yeah, he's very good. He's mm-hmm. like good it got this calm gravitas with a, like a little touch of humor Odysseus is like so I'm I'm gonna be an old man by the time I go home and it's like yeah what do you think I'm gonna be friend I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. be dead is what I'm gonna be <laughs> yeah no I do I I do and and you know it's like the more you watch I feel like the more I get used to seeing this cast again mm-hmm. and so I do like it but at the same time I, I still for whatever reason wish that a few of the casting choices from the movie were mm-hmm. in this one I don't know if Brian Cox would have pulled off the sympathetic father sacrificing Iphigenia as yeah. well. So that I'm kind of like, no, that's yeah. this is a good casting choice. But like once he goes straight up bonkers, I feel like mm-hmm. I would have enjoyed seeing Brian Cox do something with that. Mm-hmm. I no, I I do agree. I I think that Agamemnon they have has done a very good job of pivoting from sympathetic father forced to sacrifice his child to complete raving psycho because he was forced to sacrifice his child but psychotic king raping a priestess who he kind of is also identifying with his child which gives it this really creepy like incestuous edge it was i mean rape is obviously never comfortable but mm-hmm. that was just gross mm, yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but thank you this was fantastic we will be back next week looking at the next couple of episodes of Troy Fall of a City. So I hope you can join us then. And if you haven't watched it yet, I highly recommend going and starting the series. It's really great TV. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review. And you can also follow us on social media at The Reading Party Podcast. If you'd like to leave us a book or movie suggestion, then email us at thereadingpartypod at gmail.com. See you next week. (laughs) 